Amen. Uh, today is February 5th, 2017. The title of today's message is In Your Face. Yeah. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, In Your Face. I was reading something on Friday of this week. I was reading through the Word. I was talking with a brother in Christ, and something hit me that had been, it was, it was just in my face. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything with it except going, wow, Lord, what have you done here? Something, a passage that I've read a million times before. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, because I want to share this with you. Uh, if you have uh, teenagers, young kids in your house, um, you're, you may be familiar with this type of scenario. In our house, I'll ask one of my kids, please go get this item for me. It's in my room on top of my dresser. <laughs> right? I've narrowed it down from the whole house to a specific room, from the specific room to a specific item. And they will go in there and look for 20 minutes and be like, Dad, I can't find it. And what happens? Right? You walk in and you go, it's right here in front of your face. Okay, probably more accurately than, than parents and kids, it's probably a wife and a husband. Yeah. Hey, babe, where, where, are my, where are my keys? They're in your pocket, honey. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> right? We, we understand what it's like. Why? Because we have uh, selective attention. We can only focus on so many things at one time, and sometimes things that are right in front of us that should be incredibly apparent to all, we've just missed for the, for the fact that our attention has been diverted. In Genesis chapter 3... Starting in verse 14. Are you there? Amen. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this. What is this that he's talking about? Right? This is the beginning. We were, this is where Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit that they are not supposed to eat of. And God is dealing with things here. Because you have done this. Cursed are you above all the livestock. Everybody say cursed. cursed. You know what? In my mind, this entire passage was summarized in this one word. Cursed. I'm going to give you a little hint. Let's not miss what's right in front of our face here. Let's, let's keep reading here. Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Pretty familiar passage, right? We understand this, that the, the serpent was indeed cursed because that's exactly what the word of God said. But you know what I figured? You know what I just saw in verse 15? And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I've heard many times that this is actually the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. A prophecy about the Messiah. That the, the seed that would come from the woman would crush the serpent's head and he would strike at his heel. It's, it's alluding to, in a, in a shadow form, in an early seed form of Jesus Christ coming and being crucified on the cross so that he can crush the head of the serpent. Anybody ever heard those type of things before? Amen. Me too. But you know what I missed was at the beginning of 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. You know what hit me the other day? Just in, it, was, it was in my face. That while verse 14 is talking about a curse to the serpent... Verse 15 is immediately giving us the answer that we need. Verse 15 starts off with, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Let me see if I can help us understand this today. Because this is one of those things that are that's so obvious now that I see it, I can't, help, I can't hardly believe that I ever saw it the other way. 
you, you get it the wrong way. You get those optical illusions, right? And they show a picture. Is it a, is it a young lady or an old man, right? It just depends on how you look at it. But once you see it, once you see it, then you go, oh, I see what you did there. Can you put up the first slide for me, Joy? I want, I want to walk through this with you. So we're looking at the serpent here who's been cursed. And then, there we go. We see the serpent and he is cursed. <laughs> I put grounded. Why? Because he had to then crawl on his belly and eat the dust of the ground, right? So we're just going to call that grounded for, for our, our visual here. But what was the answer to that? The answer to that was given in the very next verse and it was the seed that was going to produce righteousness. And what we see here in 15 is I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, uh, how many of you guys like snakes? Right? The only, only good snake is a? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were over at JJ's house yesterday. And uh, by the way, if you missed that, that opportunity to serve, you missed, you missed uh, a sight. Um, so what we did was, I don't know if those of you were there, we had uh, four big pickup trucks. And uh, Buddy and I and some other guys were figuring out how to get stacks things as high as we possibly could. So in the truck, we were putting wood like all the way around the truck of the bed. And, and the bed of the truck, and then we were just stacking it as tall as we could. On Pastor Eric's truck, uh, I, ha- I should have brought the picture. We had Justin. How, how tall are you, Justin? Six, three and a half. Six, three and a half. <laughs> Don't you forget that half. Because that would have been like, yeah, six, four. You know, six, three and a half, right? He is standing by the truck, and the truck is dwarfed. I mean, uh, Justin is dwarfed by the height of the truck. It was at least twice as tall as Justin is. And so we were just stacking stuff. While I was up in the truck, um, throwing all this wood from the shed in there, they had deconstructed a, a shed. And what happened was they threw a piece of wood out, and I'm just kind of trying to arrange stuff so we can stack it as high as we can. And I turn around, and right behind me, about from here to there, was a snake. It's like, oh. You know what I did not do? Oh, look, a pet for my daughter. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. What I did was, um, well, I took care of the problem. Let's just say that. You know why? Because all the way back in Genesis, it says that there is going to be an enmity between the serpent's seed and the seed of Adam. There's something that's there that we all know, hey, look, the only good snake is a, that's the only good kind that we're going to go here. And, and so when there's, there's that immediate, why? Because we don't want to, you, hey, I'm just going to curl up, going to get in my fluffy pajamas and my slippers and get my pet snake. No, that, that's weird. When people do that, you know that there's something wrong with these people. But it doesn't, I, I don't care. I don't care. I actually did an example one time, and I thought I'd be, uh, I was asked to do an example with an actual snake. It was a python. But in the process, someone had dropped the box that the python was in and failed to mention to me that the snake was already very riled up. They're like, hey, brother, just go ahead and grab a snake. He won't bite you. Literally. Thunk. Like dangling, you know, from my hand going. I wasn't sure in that moment if I wanted to kill the snake more. <laughs> Or the person who had just handed me the snake in this manner, right? 
There's an enmity that's supposed to be there. This is, this is the beginning of the solution for all of mankind. If you start getting buddy and buddy, we know that the symbology of a serpent is that it's about what? Sin. And so when we see these things, if we learn to be comfortable with that in any way, ah, but this sin, this sin doesn't bite. See, this one's okay, Pastor. This one, it'll just curl up around you and it's nice. And Look, it, look. Oh, look how cool it feels. No, the problem is, is there's supposed to be enmity. There's supposed to be a hatred. There's supposed to be something inside of you that causes you to move. When I saw the snake beside me, I reached for the sword that I had on me. I reached for something to deal with it immediately. If you are getting buddy-buddy with sin, you've got a problem because you're failing to understand all the way back at the beginning. There's got to be an enmity between us and a serpent in the natural realm. And we understand that it speaks much more than that. Amen? He will crush your head and you will, cr- you will strike at his heel. God, I love it. We see the picture of the crucifixion, of the cross, the victory there. Now let's go on to the next verse. To the woman. Everybody say, to the woman. He said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. All right, I'm going to get there. Just give me a minute. You guys are getting there a little too quick. Just just hang on with me. Because what I want you to do is I want you to look at something that's not in this verse for a second. In verse 14, we see that the Lord spoke to the serpent and said, Cursed are you. But to the woman, what did God say? Did he say the word cursed to the woman or not? Oh, wait a minute. Hold up. In my mind, the thing that was, that was in my face that I couldn't see before was I was like, oh, this is a curse. This is a curse. By the way, for all of you who are Bible students in here, when you're reading uh, commentaries on the Bible, this is why that we teach at this church because it's the right thing to do is that you're interacting with the Scripture and you're supposed to preach from something that interacts with your heart. And then you look at commentaries who can be a wonderful addition, but not take over you actually finding out what you think. Lord, what are you saying about the scripture? You know why? Because I found today, every commentary that I read about this talked about the curse given to a woman. The definitions of, the, of, of each word in the Hebrew, I went through every word in the Hebrew of this entire passage. And many of them spoke to, well, since the curse was placed on the woman... Since the curse, since the curse, because of the curse, because of the curse. I was like, that's not at all what it says. To the woman, I will increase your pain. I will greatly increase. I don't have time to go into it right now, but there is a double word in the Hebrew right there. Greatly increase is the word rabah, Hebrews 7, 2, 3, 5, and it repeats the word twice. Many of you would understand that. I'm not going to go into that right here and right now, but you understand the significance of it. There's a little nugget for those of you who like to study that you can study on that. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Now, you know what it says here? It says that the Lord will greatly increase the pains in childbearing. You know what it doesn't say? That before this moment, there would never be pain in childbearing. Let's, let's, let's just set everything aside here that we've heard and all the sermons we've heard on this. Let's just set it aside for just a minute. What the Word of God says, the thing that we can base our life and our heart and our understanding upon, it says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Uh, for those of you who've had children, there are great pains in childbearing. 
<laughs> Pastor said it, it like to kill him. Yeah. Uh-huh. For those of you who are desiring to have children, there are great pains in childbearing. To long to have a child and not be able to have a child, is that not pain as well? Because what you see is the difference between the first word pain there, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, often speak to a very physical, a pain, a toil, a sorrow. With pain, you will give birth to your children. You know what that next word also indicates besides the physicalness? An emotional state. Yeah. It has to be more than just physical. Can, can you stay with me here for just a second? It has to be more than just physical in the problem here. Why? Because in our modern society, couldn't you just take enough medicine? The second that you start feeling labor, we just stick you in, with an epidural and you've bypassed what God is telling mankind. You bypassed it. One. Done. Wait a minute, how can that be? You're going to take some type of pharmacia and, out, and outwit God? No, that's never going to be the case. You're never going to be able to take medicine. You're never going to be able to take medicine to get around your heart problem with God. Your anxiety, your fear, your depression, your whatever it is, fill in the blank. If you think that you're going to take medicine and get around the fact that you have a heart problem, with, with the Lord of all creation, then you've missed the point and you don't understand actual what God is all about. Come on, parents. Stay, stay with me here. Women, if, if, if you've got kids around in the house, I know this to be the case. I, I could look at women here and I, I've seen examples of it in our services. A mom with a newborn, Right? She's got to feed the baby, and the baby's crying, and everyone's looking at me, and I don't feel, ah, and there's this pressure because I don't feel like a good mom, and why do I even come to church because I just spent all my time in the back with the baby? Pain. Come on, got something. With pain, you will give birth to children, not only in the birthing process, but in the raising process. There's an, immers an, an emotional turmoil that goes on here. If you're a woman and you have children, am I telling the truth or not? Yes. What happens when they're beyond the infant? Now they can talk and walk. Parents, if you've got older kids, there's sometimes some pain in what's going on because you're wanting to see something in them that you are not seeing. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. You are seeing maybe yourself. You're seeing lots of sin in them that you just like, ah, there's pain in this in the childbirthing process, in the child-raising process. But look at the answer. Here's the answer is the next sentence. The way this is working out is a sentence gives you, gives you a, a, what seems to be a problem, and then the next verse helps give you an answer, the next sentence rather. It says, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Ladies, it is not a curse... It is not a curse for you to have a husband over you that you desire and wants to lead you. It is the solution to your life. Amen. That is not at all, this is not at all what our society teaches you. I've actually heard people say, I've heard it preached from pulpits, that this was part of the curse. Women were cursed. And because of the curse, then a man has to be over them. But now, we have been liberated. Hey, sweetie, this isn't the curse. 
This is the solution that you need. If you're a wife, it's supposed to be where you desire, have a desire for your husband. I've even heard of translations that said your desire will be to rule over your husband. Wow. Simmer down now. The way it's supposed to be is you have a desire for your husband that's right. If you are yet unmarried, you have a desire to have a husband that is a right, godly desire. And you know what God's doing in you? He's working things in you. He is... He is preparing you for what He has. It is not a punishment. It is the solution that you need. Husbands, for you to rule over your wives, to rightly lead a home, is an honorable thing. It is a godly thing. Because what we see here, let's look at the next one. Verse 17. To the woman, I'm sorry, to to Adam He said, Everybody look up at the screen for a second. You may have a Bible in your hand. You may have a phone. I just want everybody to look at the screen for a second because it's in your face. To Adam, he said, what is the first thing that God says to Adam? Because you listen to your wife. We think that the problem was that they ate a fruit. And by the way, because of our little childhood, we think of an apple, right? We've seen it in enough pictures. There's no, it's not an apple. I can assure you. But what goes on here is Adam is there with Eve. God told Adam what to do and what not to do. Eve was there. The serpent came up to Eve. Apparently, Adam was there as well. Eve saw that it was good. She liked the goodness of this idea of fruit. And so what she did was she partook and then gave it to her husband, and he did eat. You know what the biggest problem there in the garden was? You had things that were out of order in a marriage that was there. The home structure was out of order. You had the wife leading and the husband following. And you know what happened? The Lord says to Adam, because you listened to your wife. Now, let's put this in understanding. If you're a husband, you'll be wise to listen to your wife, but lead your wife. If you listen, as in this case, where he just listened and deferred all responsibility to her, then that is what it is. You've, ab- uh, you've put away your leadership role, you've abdicated your leadership, and you are now in the wrong place, and God can no longer bless you. Because you listened to your wife, number one, and, oh yeah, by the way, also ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the... Wait a second. So the serpent was cursed. Was Eve cursed? No. No. Uh, the ground is cursed. Is Adam cursed? No. Oh, okay. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Here comes the answer. Let's go to the next verse. It will produce thorns and thistles... For you. Guys, this is right in front of my face, and I just don't know that I ever paid attention to it this way. The thorns and the thistles were produced for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. One more verse, Joy. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. By the way, the word there in Hebrew is the same word for bread. You will eat the bread until you return to the ground. From since it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. We've heard that last part, often used at funerals, right? By the sweat of your brow. 
So the same thing that was given to a woman, that the pains of childbirth would be greatly increased, that there's not only a physical toll, but there's an emotional toll that is supposed to be there to work things out in you. It's part of the solution. It's not part of a curse. It is there to help you. It is there to instill things into you. The man is supposed to work by the sweat of his brow. The word there for brow is the same word for nose. It's talking about a general region or a very specific thing. In the Hebrew culture, if you have a long nose, you're supposed to be very long-suffering and patient. If you have a short nose, then it was said that you were very hot-tempered. That's just the, that's the common phrasing. We don't often use those things in our culture. Can, can I encourage you for a second, though? This is what hit me. By the sweat of your brow. When I think of sweat of your brow... Got a, little, got a little, uh, little sweaty there, excuse me. When I think of sweat of your nose, for me, maybe not for you, but for me that changed the entire amount of work that was put into something. When you're working hard enough that your clothes are just wringing wet and the sweat is dropping down and is dripping off the tip of your nose, now for me, this verse forever has that picture associated with it. I may learn many more things, but I'm going by the sweat of my brow, I will eat the food. You know what I'm saying right now? The sweat and the work that you're supposed to put in is not a curse. It is part of the solution for your life. Amen. Come on now. Why, why do we have so many problems with male leadership in our society? Because men don't know how to work. I mean, I don't want to get my hands dirty. Well, what's wrong with you? Why do we like to do so many work projects as a church? You know why? Because it trains young men to actually be men. We're trying to teach them by the sweat of the brow you're supposed to work. The fact that you can go in and we have such a life that you can sit on your phone, sit on an Xbox, play games, never grow up. By the way, our sociologists are trying to put another category in the mix before we actually say full adulthood. We've got, you know, uh, infants and toddlers. We go through developmentally and we get to teenagers and now after teenagers, they were like, well, I guess you're an adult. Oh, it's like a pre-adulthood. Don't do it now. And don't do it if you've got a problem getting on the computer. You can Google these things. This will come up in the first three, first three hits. Uh, phases of life. The newest stuff will give you a pre-adult. A, a young adulthood. Why? Because we're saying, you're still not ready. We see how you people are living. And you're 25, and you're 26, and you're 29, and you're 31, and you still hadn't figured out to be able to live on your own yet. Because you've never learned that by the sweat of the brow, you're going to eat your food. Until when? Until retirement, right? Oh, snap. Until you return to the ground. Mm. Folks. I, I was, it was just in my face. Joy, can you go to the, to the slides? It was in my face. These things were sitting there the whole time. And I was overwhelmed by the thought. We have a serpent who was cursed. He was grounded. And you know what the answer for him was? The seed of God is going to come. The righteous seed that we know is Christ. But it will come and that will take care of the serpent. The woman. Not cursed. That's right. Not cursed. Obedience. When you walk in obedience, not cursed. Like a darting swallow, so an undeserved curse does not come to rest on those who are obedient to the Lord. I think that's Proverbs 26.2. Woman, not cursed. 
She's increased in pain, but as here's the answer. With the increase of pain, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to submit to it. You're supposed to submit to the pain that's going on in your life. You're, you're supposed to let it do its work, and you're supposed to submit to your husband. And you know what happens? <laughs> Victory is at hand. This is all in Genesis 3, guys. We have, we've, we've, we've been reading five verses now. Right? We're going to go on, I promise. We're going to have law prophet writings today. Don't you worry. But I want you guys to get this. Ladies, when you learn how to submit, well, I don't have a husband yet. Well, then that's what your pastors are here for. We can help you. We can help protect you. We can help lead you in some of these things. This is what this is supposed to be here. If we're supposed to treat each other like a body of Christ, like a family, you know what we do? Fine, you don't want to look at me like a father. That's fine. Let's just say we'll be your big brother. We'll, take, we'll, we'll look after you. What if you're a, a single man? Then you've got your, your uncles and your big brothers and your fathers here in this house that will help you in this. So you know what you do? You submit the same. Don't think that when we hear the word of God, this only applies to a husband and a wife. This applies to everyone in the room. The ground, it was cursed. It had thorns and thistles. You had to work the soil. The man, not cursed. Not cursed. The toil that was put there was for his victory. When you don't know what to do and you're trying to, you're trying to wrestle with an idea, let me encourage you. Step one in your thought process should be, am I working hard enough at what I'm doing now for God to be able to speak to me through it? Pastor, I don't know about where we're supposed to live or my job or this or that. Put your head down and work hard. Amen. Just work. Until the, the, until the sweat is dripping off of your nose. I was a school teacher. Right? Not tons of, of physical activity unless we were going out in the marching band field and we were out there. But I can assure you that every day my goal was to end the day exhausted. That is a good thing for you to do, man. Because you know what happens when you finish the day exhausted? Amen. God grants sleep to those he loves. You know what I've never had a problem with? Going to sleep. I'm like, good night. Bam. <laughs> it's like flipping off the light switch. <laughs> My wife is amazed. She's like, how do you do that? Right? Why? Because her fighting is in the emotional realm. She's got to kind of wind down. and We've got to talk about it. We've got to... <laughs> 47 minutes later. Right? This is, the, uh, this, is, this is real life. This is not an insult. What our society has tried to do is try to say that men and women have the same function. No. In the Bible, in the kingdom of God, men and women have the same value. But you have completely different functions you have completely different roles. Why in the world would you want to get that mixed up? Oh, because we think that value and function are the same thing in our world. It's wrong. It's wrong. And you know what the answer is? It's right here in front of our face. Amen? While we're talking about work, let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We have such, so many good uh, students of the Bible, and maybe many of you guys were far, far ahead of me on that passage. Maybe you guys all knew that uh, way ahead of time. That was new to me. That was revelation while I was reading it two days ago. Second Corinthians chapter 6, let's start at verse 4. Is everybody there? 
Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance. Almost sounds like they understood by the sweat of the brow that things would get done. In troubles, hardships, and distresses. In beatings, imprisonments, and riots. In hard work. Everybody say hard work. Hard work. Sleepless nights. Come on, say sleepless nights. Sleepless nights. And hunger. Come on, say hunger. hunger. In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness. In the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, where? In the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Pastor, why is life-changing ministry so intense? Y'all worship and it's intense. You speak and it's intense. The people who go into prison, it's intense. Y'all going to go preach out on the street corners at the Super Bowl? It's a little intense. I think it's the basic level of Christianity. I think it is the minimum that we're allowed to do and call ourselves Christians is to be serious. And do you see this passage? What is it saying? Golly, that's kind of an intense passage. Wow, there's, there's so many qualifiers there. Yeah, because that's what the kingdom is about. The Lord deserves this. He has earned every soul from every tribe and every nation on every continent. His obedience deserves this. We have no choice but to decide, you know what? Amen. Lord, I'm going to work as hard as I know how until the sweat is dripping from my brow in order that you may take that little bit that I just gave. It was all that I had, but that you can multiply, that you can do something with it because you desire and you require these sacrifices from me. Wasn't, that's exactly the words that were coming forth this morning. Amen? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is something that I won't take much time on, but I do want to remind you of something that we learned a few weeks ago. Deuteronomy 11, and we're going to start in verse 13. Verse 13, we have a Shema, Shema here. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Do you remember what we learned? We need grain, and what does the Lord send? We want grain. We want to skip the work. We don't want to have to work by the sweat of our brow. We don't want to have physical or emotional turmoil in us. We want to reject. We want to push back. Have you ever tried to hug somebody? Usually it's me trying to hug my wife when I'm completely dirty, just all nasty and sweaty and muddy. And what happens? See, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting some faces. I'm getting some good faces right now, right? Try to hug and what happens? Right? Everybody, all the, most of the women in here went. You started moving away from your husband. Now I'm just talking about it. Come here, baby. Give me a kiss. Ah, Stay away. Right? Isn't that interesting, though? We do that same thing spiritually. We shy away from the very thing that's designed to help us. 
We're shying away from the toil and the sweat. We're shying away from the emotional toil and sweat that we have to put forth, whether it's physical or emotional. We were pushing away instead of being drawn close. Baby, it's okay. You can go, you can go wash up later. I, I promise. This is more important. <laughs> kid all muddy. Give him, when your kid walks up all muddy, just hug him. Don't push him away. Be all right. You'll clean up later. Right? Why? Because we're supposed to understand that these are the things we're supposed to embrace. Amen? That we're not supposed to push away. When we ask for grain, the Lord sends us rain and we're supposed to go work it. Amen? Amen. Let's, turn to, um, let's turn to Genesis chapter 21. I want to show you a few other examples of things that were right in front of our eyes. It was right in your face. And sometimes we can miss it. Genesis 21. And we're going to start in verse 11. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. This is in reference to Hagar and Ishmael. Verse 12, but God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and about your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. You know what the Lord is doing there? He's reminding Abraham of the promise. You know what you need in your life a lot when you get distressed, when you get worried about situations? You need to be reminded of the promises of God in your life. Verse 13, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Wow. How much did God love Abraham? This is incredible. Verse 14, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. By the way, the word food there is the same word that's in Genesis It's the word that we translate more often than not as bread. The lechem. Some food and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar. He sent them on her shoulders and and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Ever felt like you've just been wandering out in the desert? Let's let's not read over these things too quickly, right? Let's not miss what's right there in, in our face. Wandering in the desert, just wandering around. It doesn't seem like anything is good. You're just listless and purposeless and and directionless. And you're just kind of going around, right? When the water in the skin had gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away. A stone's throw away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. They're out of water, folks. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Verse 17. God heard the boy crying. I think it's interesting. Hagar is crying, and so is the boy. It's almost like she's having these pains in not just childbirth, but in child rearing. This pain, Lord, God, I've, I've done this. This is, this is it. This is the end. I can't bear to watch this. But when God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. Everybody say, don't be afraid. afraid. You know, if you can just understand that, if you can just get that scripture down in your thought, in your heart, when you come up against something, if you will just stop your first reaction from being afraid, don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand. For I will make him into a great nation. 
Then the Lord opened her eyes. Somebody say, opened her eyes. Opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. Hey, guys, where was the well of water? Right in her face. How is it that we can be places and God's provision is right there in your face and you're missing it? You know why? It's because we need to have our eyes opened. She's lamenting and, and we're out of water and the child's about to die. I can't even bear it. I've got I've to turn away. I didn't, she didn't leave. <laughs> She's still a mom here and the Lord speaks to her. I want to encourage some of you guys. You've been crying out to the Lord for certain things. I want to pray for you today before we get done that God will open your eyes to the answer that's right there in your face. It's right in front of you. It's not far off. It is close to you. The answers that you need are right there, I promise. All we need to find is the revelation from God that allows us to engage in that resource, to engage in that life, to engage in that salvation, to engage in that power that He gives us so that we can then be completely revived in the moment. God opened her eyes and she saw a well. So what happened? So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Wow. What a great story. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Let's start in verse 11. This next passage should bring life to your soul. Be ready to write it down. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult. Everybody say, not too difficult. Not too difficult. The work that God has put in front of you is not too difficult. Does it say it's not difficult? No, it doesn't say it's not difficult. What does it say? It's not too difficult. It's going to make you work. You know why? Because if we didn't have to work for things, you know what happens in us? Us stays really, really prominent. And Him is far too diminished. You know what having to work for things sometimes? You know what? Having a dream. The Lord has called me to greatness, Pastor. Amen. Well, get to work. Get to work. I should be a, a, an evangelist to tens of thousands. Well, amen. Why don't you go join the cleaning crew for us? Go clean some toilets and tell me about your work. Pastor, you know, I don't, I don't know why some things are so difficult and nothing I touch seems to be going right. Well, good for you. Good. You going to quit? You going to go lay down under a bush somewhere? <laughs> Start sucking your thumb? Stand up. Find the well that is right there in front of you and work your way through it. Amen. Revelation 21.8 says that cowards have no place in the kingdom. Are so serious. No, we're just trying not to be cowards. We know that it is in human nature to, to be fearful. You know what happens when you give in to fear enough? You become a coward. That's why we're saying, don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fear. That's fear. Quit doing that. You're thinking fear. That's all you're, you're worried about fear. You better stop it. Why? Because we don't want you to become a coward and lose your place in the kingdom. You can like it or not. The pastors and the leadership in this church, we've decided, last thing, we're, we, I might be wrong in a lot of things, but what I'm not going to be is a coward. Yes. I'd rather die than be a coward. Yes. Now, 
we can all say amen to that, and then we go out and live lives that are full of fear. <laughs> amen, Pastor, that's good. Good for you. I mean, I wish I could. That's a little bit more intense than I'd like to be. Yeah. Now, that I'm, what, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult. It's not too difficult. But it will require everything you got. It's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Come on, guys. <laughs> Spencer, I'm not picking on you, so just, I'm just going to throw this out here. <laughs> Have you ever had anybody that had T-Rex arms when it comes to getting a bill? Oh, you beat me to it, Pastor. Oh, amen. Here comes the bill. Oh, I missed it. My bad. Right? It's not too difficult for you, nor is it out of your reach. It is right there in your face. But you have to reach for it. You have to work for it. You have to work your way through this. You have to submit to what God's doing so that you can receive what God has for you. It is not too difficult. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's not too difficult. And it's right there in your face. Verse 12, it is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who can ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may, may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Verse 14, no. Everybody say no. no. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. Why? So that you can obey it. It's right there. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness in 2 Peter. He is, it's right there in your mouth and in your heart. Psalm 19, 14, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We've got to have the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart. We have to have the work of our hand and the internal work of our hearts that we can lay before Him because He's given it to us. He gave it to us. We have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 16 says. He just gave it to us. Are we going to stay in our mind, which is actually out of our mind? Are we going to stay in the mind of Christ? Or are we going to try to keep thinking through things on our own? That's not what He asks you to do. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart, it's very near you. Acts, uh, uh, Joy, can you put up Acts 17, 26? It might take a few verses. It's either 26 or 28. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the exact time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Next verse. God did this so that men would seek him. Why did God put people all over earth the way He does? Because He wants people to seek Him and perhaps, uh-oh, reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Come on now. You've got you to gotta work for it because it's not too difficult. You've got to reach for it because it's not too far. What God is putting you is very close. It's right in your face. Turn to Judges chapter 15. <clears throat> Judges chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 14. There, there. 
This is Samson. He's just taken his revenge on some Philistines. He's taken a jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand men. A thousand. I don't know if you guys have ever been any uh, scrapes or struggles before. But a thousand men who actually want to kill you, that is not a small feat. Just because we've heard it makes it, oh, it's a thousand men. <laughs> if you had a gun with you, that would be a difficult task. That would be an impossible task. And with a jawbone, Samson keeps swinging. Just keep swinging. Tosses the jawbone out. And now he's here. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. His own people had bound him. They were like, you just killed a thousand people. They're going to be mad at us. Cowards. Okay, we'll tie you up. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, the ropes broke. Verse 15. Finding a, a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Next verse. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. There's a little word play here in the Hebrew. The word for donkey sounds very, very close to the word for heap. Of He's saying that I heaped them up. Or that there, there's a little play here that's kind of funny that we, we lose in our language. But he's saying, I made donkeys of them. I put them in a big old pile. It, it was ridiculous. With a donkey's job, jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. And the place was called Ramath Lehi. Because he was very thirsty. Everybody say very thirsty. Very thirsty. He cried out to the Lord. You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Well, if you're dead. I mean, come on, man. You know why? Because we as men, are, are, we find so much value and we understand that it's in our work. What do you do when you introduce yourself to somebody? You usually say your name and what you do. It's because we're men. That's kind of how you start things off. He just finishes this incredible, this incredible adventure. Reminds me of Elijah. Took on 850 prophets and then after he's, <laughs> I'm going to die. Samson does the same thing. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. Where was he? He was right there in the same place. It was literally provision that was made right in his face that he didn't see previous to this. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he was revived. So the spring was called En Hakor, or a spring for someone who calls out. Come on, guys. We've got to open our eyes to what, God, what God's doing right in our face. And we've got to call out to Him. Lord, I'm calling out. Here I am, Lord. I don't see where the provision is, but I know because of Your Word, it must be right in front of me. You know what? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be a coward. I'm going to keep working at this, but Lord, I am thirsty. And, and I, do need, I do need some resources, Lord, but I'm going to keep going. And what happens? When you call out, the Lord will open up a hollow place. He'll open up something that you didn't even know was there. The provision that you need. And I'm not just talking about financial. Of course, to me, I'll be honest with you, I think that's the easiest part of this. I think the financial provision, I don't know how we're going to pay this bill. Amen. You walk in obedience, God will take care of you. Because if He doesn't, He's a liar. 
If he doesn't, he's not worthy to be trusted. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. He'll take care of you. How do you know, Pastor? Because I know him. Because we're not starting off from a cursed position. We are blessed. We're, we're following him so that we can receive and do everything that he says. When Samson drank, his strength returned. So the spring was called in Hakor. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings 6 and verse 15. This is Elisha. He's just, we've just watched an iron axe head float. Now, he keeps warning God's people about where the enemy is going to be stationed. He'll tell them, hey, be careful, right over here. This is where they're going to be waiting for you. They're going to ambush you over here. Sure enough, he was right. Uh, They're going to ambush you over here. Be careful. They're going to attack you from here. And the king of Aram was mad. He was like, who keeps doing this? Who, who's in our council room? Who, who keeps messing up our plans? Oh, it's this guy named Elisha. Well, let's go get him. We'll take care of that. They surround the city where Elisha is. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, bathrobe, slippers, cup of coffee in the right hand, picking up the newspaper, looks up, there's an entire army. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. <laughs> I love this. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? <laughs> the servant asked. Verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17. And Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And what did he see? He looked and saw the hills full. Everybody say full. full. Don't miss these words now. He didn't just see a few chariots of fire. He saw the hills around the city where they were full of angelic forces ready to move on command. He naturally saw the army around him. But what Elisha, the man of God, prayed was that his eyes would be open so he could see the spiritual forces that were on his side that far outnumbered the little puny you saw a chariot of fire God, can you imagine that i mean we, we we now barely have graphics in our in our technology that can show you what a horse on fire just snorting and snarling and ready to come just uneasy ready to go after it i can assure you that what they saw that day was far greater i can assure you whatever that was come on guys let's open up our eyes it's right in your face God's provision is right in your face. God's plan is right in your face. What he wants for you, it is right there. And we can have it. Let's turn back to Genesis 3 for just a a very brief time. Is this making sense to you guys today? Now, uh, Joy, can you put up um, the, the fourth slide, I think it is? The one that has... The serpent. So let's look in verse 20. You know how, right, right here on the screen. So we have the serpent. The answer is the seed. We have the woman. The answer is submission. We have the ground. The answer was work in the soil. The man, you know what the answer is for us, guys? Sweat. You got to work it out. 
Do you know how I know that this, you know what changed it when I realized that everything on this list was not about being cursed? You know what confirmed it to me? Let's look at verse 20. Immediately after this is given from the Lord, you know what Adam doesn't do? Oh, 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 we're cursed. We're cursed. You know what he does? Adam named his wife Eve. He got to work. Because she would become the mother of all the living. The word Eve means living. He didn't lament what was going on. He actually started rejoicing. He went, oh, let's, let's get... He began immediately and turned to what the future would hold. He let what was behind him, he forgot the things which were behind and started pressing on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And because he started pressing on, the Lord brought restoration and redemption to his life. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out and take his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Do you know why the Lord didn't want him to live forever? Because he was now in a fallen state. <laughs> I wish I could live to be 500 years old. Yet you actually... If I could be 500 years old and have a body that was still very healthy, I, I might go ahead and along with that. To be 500 years old at the rate that our bodies decayed now? Really, that's, that, that sounds like a punishment. You're 200 years old. Oh, that's so terrible. You can't see and hear and speak and move. And, but you're 200 years old. Yay. God was saying, hey, you've got to be restored. This physical body isn't, what we're, what we're, isn't your home anymore. I actually love you. So I'm going to say that you shouldn't eat from this tree. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Starts off with the soil. It's going to go back. You're going to end up in the soil. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, multiple angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. If you haven't ever heard Pastor Eric teach on guarding the entrance back, we have plenty of sermons. I'm sorry I didn't look at a name, but you can find it. If you just Google, uh, put that in the search bar of our sermons from our website, you will be blessed beyond measure. God was guarding the way back. He was making sure that they had a right way to come back to him. Turn to Job chapter 42 as we get ready to end. Job 42 and verse 5. Job 42.5. Told some of y'all, I just reread through the book of Job the other day. And just took a few days and read through it. God, just things were, were coming to me that I, I was seeing things that I had never seen before. And this verse just blessed me to no end. Job 42.5 says this, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I, I mean, I heard about these things. But it's so different now that I've experienced it myself. I was lamenting not having water. And you know what? You, you, you let me know that there was a well right there. I, I was famished. I was 
um, totally exhausted from my labors. And you know what? You opened up a hollow place. I was completely full of fear and entrapped by, by all that the world could throw at me. And you know what? You opened my eyes and I could see a heavenly force that was working on my behalf to bring me victory. I have heard of these things, but now I've seen them. Maybe you're here today and all you've, the best that you've ever done is heard about these things. If, you, if you've been raised in this country, you've probably sat in some type of service and some type of religious organization. I would, would say church, but I'm not sure if that's actually the case. We've heard of it, but you know what? Hey, for those of you who are going to go out and preach this afternoon... There might be people who have heard, but what you're trying to do is let them see what you're talking about. You're trying to have the God of all creation confirm by signs and wonders the miracles of what His Word says. They may hear. We need a preacher to be able to preach to them so that they can hear, but the end result is not only hearing. It's that they can hear and see what God has done. This is the hope that we have, that we can hear. (laughs) Lord, if I hear you enough, And if I get this down into me enough, and if I'm obedient and I work and I toil and I sweat at this, you know what? I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. I may not see it all yet, but I'm going to see it. You know why? Because this is what your scripture says. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It's not easy to rent someone from their position once they've seen it. What happened? Oh, no. You can't convince me that something else happened. I saw it with my own eyes. It was right in my face. I couldn't help but see it. I've seen the Lord. You know what? We laid hands on somebody and I saw them get healed. I've seen the dead come to life, at least spiritually. I can't wait till physically. I'm going to see that one of these days. I've seen those with wrecked marriages have restored marriages. I've seen those that were far from God be made near to God. This is what we're after. In Psalm 119, verse 18, what does it say? Open my eyes that I might see the wonderful things found in your law. Lord, open my eyes. Lord, open them. Open them. Ephesians 1.18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which we have, the glorious inheritance of the riches of the saints. We need our eyes open today. You know why? Because his answers are right in your face. His presence is right there in front of your face. It's not too difficult for you. It's not too far off. You can get to this. You can work your way in this. You can prove yourself faithful and He will strengthen you and help you because that's what exactly what we're about. Amen? In John chapter 4, verse 35. Turn there with me. John 4, 35. John 4.35 says this, Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Folks, our world is ripe for the harvest. Do you think things are getting worse? They are. (laughs) Politically, spiritually, emotionally. Yep, getting worse. Amen. You know what that means? That means it's right for us to come in and bring salvation to the world. We're sending a team, one of the many travels that are going to... We're sending a group of people to Turkey. 20 miles, 12 miles, whatever it is, from Aleppo. Aleppo. One of the most dangerous places in the world. You know why we're going? (laughs) Because we figure 
that's the perfect place to go. A, God specifically said it. And B, how much more prepared can they be for someone who can bring hope? How much more prepared can they be for someone who can bring in the power of God? You know why? Oh, aren't y'all scared? No. We're chomping at the bit to go. This is the right thing to do because we're opening our eyes and saying, look. Look, we're going to open our eyes and look at the fields. Everybody say, look at the fields. Have you missed looking at the fields because it's just right there in front of your face? It's just become plain. I write scriptures on, a, on, on our mirror sometimes, oftentimes. You know what happens after a while that a scripture's on my mirror, though? I quit looking at it. I, I start looking around the text that I've put on a mirror. It's there, but I quit looking at it. Is the fields, are the fields right around you and they're there and you just quit looking at it? What God has called you to do? <laughs> in Luke chapter 10, it talks about how that we are supposed to pray that the Lord, we've got to send workers. Lord, we need workers. There's the Lord praying for the harvest. Lord, we need a harvest. Lord, we want a harvest. It doesn't say that that's what we're supposed to pray. He's got the harvest ready. He's waiting on us to come in and actually do something about it. It's almost like by the sweat of our brow, we should work these things out. In Acts 26, 15, Paul is, is, is recounting what he had done of how the Lord transformed him. And he said, hey, look, you know, now that I have seen these things, I'm coming to you. Now, the Lord showed me something incredible and he's showing me more things. In John 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. How did they feed the 5,000? By an answer that was right in their face. They took what they had and God multiplied it. In Matthew 14, Peter was walking on the water. These are familiar passages. Matthew 14, Peter was walking on the water and it says, and he saw the waves. Focus was off of Jesus onto the waves. He begins to sink. Are you sinking in your life in areas because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus? You've closed your eyes to what he's done? In Mark 10, we have blind Bartimaeus. On the side of the road. And what happens? Jesus comes right in front of him and he cries out and he gets what he needs from the Lord. Amen. Turn to Luke chapter 2. We've just done Matthew, Mark. Now we're going to do Luke. We talked about John. It's almost like these gospels <laughs> are painting a picture for us. Luke chapter 2, verse 28. Are you there? Come on, stay with me, guys. Don't, let's not peter out here. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, He is holding the Christ child in his arms. Verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. It's almost like he had heard something. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Folks, there's very few people in this room who can look at people and, and not be able to echo Simeon's response here. I've seen your salvation, Lord. I, I haven't just heard about it. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a thought. It's not even just theology. It is something that has happened to me. I heard about you and now I've seen you. This is what Simeon is saying. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. 
I've got two more passages of scripture. And this last one is going to blow your mind. Because it blew mine. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. Tell me there when you're there. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning. From the beginning. Like all the way back in Genesis. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Almost like he's talking about our church. We've heard, we've heard incredible things. We've seen it. Have you put your hands on the work of the Lord? Can you say just like this? We've looked at it. We've, our hands have touched it. We've experienced it. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. I do not speak to you today as a scholar. I speak to you as a ridiculously frail, scared human being who has found a powerful God and now am a powerful man in His service. It's not arrogance. It's I understand who He's made me. I understand what I'm supposed to be doing on this planet. I understand how to lead my family. I don't always do it perfectly, but I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I will do it with all of my heart, never shrinking back. What about you? Can you say that? The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Guys, we've got to do more than just hear. This should give you a great methodology to go and preach to people. If they've never heard, you know what you've got to do? And you've got to preach so that they can hear. And you've got to preach so that they can see. It's got to be what they've heard and what they've seen because like you and me, when that happens, we become immovable in our desire to reach and to do everything that the Lord has done. We proclaim, verse 3, to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We're not playing games. We actually have fellowship with the Creator of the universe. We write this to you to make our joy complete. When people see and hear, you know what it does in the body of Christ? Whew! Brings us completed joy. Last passage that I want to touch base with you. Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 12. Let's start in verse 9. Everybody there? Yes. Amen. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient... Okay, wait, it's okay. I'm going to do it again. This is not a performance thing. We're family. Three quarters of us just missed what I was doing there. I'm just going to go back and do it again. Probably my bad. Let's just do that again. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient... Serpent. Oh, hey, hold up. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Well, that's the truth. We saw it with Eve. We saw it in Adam. But now we know it's much bigger than just those two. He was hurled to the earth. Hurled. What a great word. Not he tripped and fell and lightly fluffed his way along. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, a loud voice. 
You ready for this loud voice? Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Joy, would you put up the last slide? So what we have here is that we know that the seed is the solution. And what does Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 say? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. By that seed that was talking about in Genesis 3. We know that not only women, but that we are supposed to submit to the Lord of all creation. Women to their husbands, men to Christ, because that is the flow of shalom. When we submit, you know what it does? It causes us not to love our lives, even unto death. We're submitted to Him. Why? We've died already. I've already submitted everything I have to Him. I don't have any choice about my life anyway. And you know what? It's better for me. You know why? Because I've worked so hard. I've got, I'm working to get all of me out of the way. I'm trying to crucify myself every day. I'm trying to, take a, I'm trying to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Him like Luke 9 says every single day. And you know why? So I've been crucified every day. So if I have to give my life, it's okay. I've practiced about 5,000 times. When we submit, we love not our lives unto death. When we just work this out, we actually have a testimony. We have a word to our testimony that God can instill in us and it gives power. We overcome by His blood and by our word. Come on now, that's good. What about you today? (laughs) What about you? Maybe you've heard, but you haven't seen all that you want to see in the Lord today. Maybe you're at a place and you're here and I don't know everyone in the room, which is unusual. Maybe you're here today and you've actually only heard. You've never actually found and seen Him for who He is. We're going to give you an opportunity today to come down to this altar and to be able to see what Jesus Christ is all about. For most of us here today, maybe we've been crying out to the Lord for certain things. Lord, I don't understand. We've been pushing away from the very thing that's supposed to help us to find His will. We're pushing away from the submission. We're pushing away from the work that He lays out for us. We're pushing away from all of these other things. We're actually pushing ourselves away from the seed. We're actually beginning to push ourselves away from His Son because we just don't understand. I'm telling you that the answer you need is right in your face. It is right there before you. It's not too far and it's not too difficult. Would you stand to your feet today?